The Conviction of Things Not Seen, a Good Omens multi-voice podfic, written by Sordium Aside, with cover art from War Goddess 9, and voiced by Gorilla's Gal 86 as Dark Ominous Voice, Literarium as Aziraphale, Phoenixel as Gang Member, Pisnaker as Beelzebub, Semperfiona as Liger. Sky Asimaru as Crowley. Sodium Azide as Dagon. Terran as Satan. Tipsy Kitty as Gabriel. Workout as Nine as Michael. And Job as Narrator. Chapter 2 False Premise. The other demon had, after a couple of attempts, managed to get to the hands and knees. They had stared down at their hands for a long moment, face stiff with pain, before shakily standing. Crowley's fingers twitched at his side with an odd urge to assist. He pushed it down. Just because this demon was empty-headed and not actively aggressive, they would probably remember that this was all Crowley's fault soon enough and get their revenge. So, what do you want me to call you? Crowley muttered. The demon was a bit pale, but was no longer visibly glowing with heat. They were still flaming like anything to Crowley's metaphysical senses, but worlds better from the magma of a few minutes ago. They straightened up and gave him a wry look. I would say that the possibilities are infinite at this juncture. A well-directed you there is certainly going to get my attention. Bit rude though, isn't it? Crowley replied without thinking. He winced. Stupid. Uh, I mean, uh, undemonly? Rude's a given, yeah. Very demonly. It's a bit much for me to just point at you like you don't have a name. They stared at him, odd eyes still faintly glowing blue. Then they smiled, and it was devastatingly sweet. I don't have a name, though. Crowley gurgled, but the other demon continued... Seemingly almost cheerful. So I'm a bit like an undiscovered country, or a new animal. You found me, so you should get to name me. Yeah, you know how discovery works, but not who you bloody are? Satan, you're weird. Crowley wasn't sure how he was feeling, but it was certainly a mixed bag. You know, anyway, I'm not allowed. Himself will know your name. He named all of us. After. We belonged to him. There was a bit of a pause, and Crowley swayed side to side. This was so bloody awkward. Yeah, I could give you something temporary. Uh, what you call it? Uh... A stopgap? A placeholder, stand-in, proxy. Crowley rolled his eyes and his entire head for emphasis. 
Oh, great. You have a huge vocabulary with nothing to put in it. Your skull is a bunch of empty shelves. They hummed amiably and looked past him curiously towards the Bentley. They began shuffling forward. There was a sound of beleaguered fabric giving up his last threats, and the demon clutched one of their torn trouser legs back up with a mortified squeak. Crowley had never seen a demon blush. He hadn't known that demons could blush. He hoped that it wasn't something that was common. Had he been blushing all of these years and no one had said anything? Oh, please, no! The demon fisted their ruined clothing shreds to the more salient parts of their corporation and gave him an intensely beseeching look. Crowley raised his hands helplessly. I swear I didn't do that. I fixed your injuries but didn't touch your clothes. Those blue eyes shimmered, eyebrows lifted in a mute plea. Crowley found his gaze wandering behind the safety of his sunglasses. Pale, clean skin gleamed through the visible ribs and tears of the ruined black ensemble. The styling wasn't obvious, but before it had been shredded to bits, it had been well cared for. Nothing like the stinking hordes of perdition that he was accustomed to. No boiled, smoothing pastels, gnarled scarring, or other visible animal aspects. This demon might have been nearly as stylish as Crowley. Nah, he snapped upwards, restoring the other's outfit to perfect cleanliness and repair. They smoothed down the fabric delicately, then raised their gaze to him in pure awe. Oh, thank you, they gushed. Crowley found himself grinning crookedly. Heaven, yes, he was the best. <laughs> Kaleido, he breathed. What? Crowley cleared his throat. A uh, temporary name for you. Spanish. Spent some time there during the Inquisition. Don't ask. Long story. You can be Kaleido. The demon blinked at him, then beamed. Oh, you are a marvel. I am alive, clothed, and now I have an identity, and it's all thanks to you. They sighed. I will try to live up to it. That won't be a problem, Crowley mumbled to himself, hopefully too low to be heard. He took a step and reached out. He hated seeing a dress shirt buttoned neatly all the way up. Too respectable. He undid Kalido's top two buttons and smirked in satisfaction. He had already turned away before he realized that he had just put his hands to their throat with no warning, and all they had done was tilt their chin up trustingly. Oh, Satan, this was rotten. 
Hell was going to eat Kalido alive, and it was all his fault. Shit. He wasn't used to feeling guilty, and he didn't like it. Alternatively, they would remember who they were, and would then discorporate him painfully. He wasn't thrilled with either option. Well, better get out of here. Uh, places to be, people to damn. Where are you going? Crowley was tempted for a single twinging moment to leave the demon behind, but that wouldn't be useful to anyone. Once Kalido remembered their own identity, or when Satan shoved the knowledge inside the head whether or not it fit right, this was probably going to be the least aggressive interaction the two of them would ever have. Crowley sighed. I'm here on assignment. Pretty sure that you were sent up to help me. He admitted. Kalido literally brightened up, embers flickering in their curly hair. Oh, jolly good. Crowley mouthed. Jolly good. Soundlessly, and so didn't pay close enough attention as Kalido stepped gingerly across the asphalt and leaned against the Bentley's bonnet. So, what is your name? Kalido asked happily. Or is that rude to request? Like for Faye? Should I say, what shall I call you? Whichever is least offensive, of course. Or perhaps it's best to be offensive? Whichever is most demonly, in your opinion. I trust your judgment. He stared. The Bentley had never hesitated to defend herself from any foreign touch. He was pretty sure that she had eaten at least one imp in the past who had tried to sneak into the back seat and ambush him. Lately, she had been permitting herself to be ticketed and for her wheels to be clamped by ambitious traffic wardens only because it annoyed Crowley. Yet this empty-headed demon was patting her smooth paint, smiling down at the glossy black machine as if nothing could ever go wrong for them. He had apparently knocked all the sense out of them, along with their memories. Or maybe the Bentley was feeling a bit apologetic for killing them a few minutes ago. Yeah, that was probably it. Uh, Crowley, he offered eventually. Anthony Jai Crowley, Serpent of Eden, Father of Original Sin, Snake of the Tree of Knowledge, Hal's representative on Earth. Kalido's brows lifted. Well, that is impressive indeed. Do let me know if I mispronounce anything. They rattled off all of his titles in order, nodding to themselves, before abruptly pausing. Sparks occasionally drifted up from their hair. Is this my blood? Kalido asked quietly. There was a smear of red on one of the mirrors. Crowley must have missed it. He shrugged helplessly. He really wasn't one to apologize, unless forced, 
And really, what do you say? It must have been quite a mess. Kalido murmured. And she was hurt too, wasn't she? What? She was damaged. Your car. Kalido smoothed the black paint again. His nails were manicured and clean. Crowley noticed hysterically. I can feel the echoes of pain. You fixed her too. You love her very much. What? Crowley was having a terrible day, and now nothing was making sense. Kalido gave him an exaggerated wink. Don't worry, I won't tell a soul. She loves you too. I imagine everything does. The demon went on matter-of-factly. You're so charming and beautiful. I'm sure everyone you meet is smitten with you. You were the first creature I saw, and even with nothing else in my head, I knew that you were the loveliest thing in the world. Crowley made an unfortunate noise that had no actual relationship with meaningful language. Kalido giggled and tapped the side of their nose conspiratorially. <laughs> I won't tell anyone so that no one gets jealous that you love her best. Kalido pet the Bentley once more before tenderly buffing the remaining smear of their blood off her paint. The Bentley's headlamps flickered and the passenger door popped open as the demon took a few unsteady steps. They sat down with an appreciative sigh before politely closing the door. Crowley stayed still for a few more moments as his car and his new companion within both waited patiently. He let out his breath in a low hiss. Hi-ho, I guess, Crowley muttered and got in. He really hoped he wasn't mushing. It seemed very storybook and straightforward when Kalido asked for clarification about the assignment. Crowley explained why the car rocketed through the sleepy town at a terrific velocity. Find the church and the priest and ensure that no more excessive holiness grew here by whatever means necessary. It was as traditional a temptation as any demon could perform. Crowley had finished with a grimace. The pretty serpent perked up when Kalido asked about what non-traditional temptations might be. Crowley rambled on about past deeds, both hands lifting off the wheel at one point to gesticulate, only setting a palm back down when Kalido literally shrieked with fright and his hair began to smolder. There were three churches in town, Odd for such a small place, but Crowley said that holiness tended to spread, just like hellish corruption did, or mold. For one of the churches, Crowley barely slowed down as the Bentley passed by, just sniffing the air out the window and scoffing before accelerating again. 
They were on their way to the next worship hall when Crowley's hat whipped around to the side and they hauled on the wheel like they were trying to steer an ocean liner through a hurricane. The big black car careened down the new street as Kalido clutched for dear life at both the door and the seat belt that the car had obligingly manifested for him. They skidded into a gravel lot outside a well-kept building with colorful windows, and Kalido finally sensed what Crowley must have detected from the main route. Kalido got out of the car as if he was sleepwalking, only vaguely aware of Crowley ambling along ahead of him. There was so much love there. So much. There was devotion in the polished windows and mowed grass. There was dedication in the swept walkways. Humble piety in the scrubbed sign listing the schedule of services outside. Crowley stopped in front of it, the handsome face creased in irritation. They muttered for a bit, sending him a sarcastic sideways glance that even the sunglasses couldn't entirely disguise. Yeah, no clue who we're looking for. The sign was simple but good quality. Varnished wood with gold paint above, listing it as All Saints Catholic Church, and below it clean glass protecting a little green felt pad that had removable plastic letters pressed into it, presumably so that the messages could be changed as needed. Underneath the weekly schedule listing the times that masses would be held, there were several deacons and a father A, but in much larger letters of a bright silver was the Reverend Monsignor Gabriel Harold, which took up the entire bottom of the sign. Something stirred uncomfortably in Kalido's belly as he read the name. Perhaps this was how holiness fell to demons? How unsettling! He must be a very wicked creature indeed, even without the benefit of remembered experience. That does feel rather distinctive, he agreed. Rowley rolled the head until it gave a visceral pop and grinned at Kalido's wins. I'll show you how it's done, then, they murmured with a wink. If Kalido wasn't entirely off base, the snake was preening. Kalido glanced down at himself. He wasn't particularly attractive, he thought, but perhaps demons viewed these things differently? Perhaps bodies weren't as important as metaphysical identity? Maybe Kalido was actually appealing. He perked up, hopefully. Maybe he was handsome. Oh, he would like to be handsome. He would very much wish for Crowley to be pleased by what he saw. Eternal damnation might not be so bad. Crowley was sauntering in front of him towards the church, cutting across the well-mown grass. 
They cut a rather dashing figure, right up until they made it to the front steps of the building, then almost jackknifed away, dancing a few paces backwards onto the green. They shook out their feet one at a time, hissing like an overboiled kettle. Ah, consecrated ground, and practically holy, blessed as fuck! Without thinking, Kalido rushed forward and knelt in front of Crowley, pulling their hand to his shoulder for balance, before lifting one of their feet to assess the injury. The snakeskin shoes rippled under his fingers, the heat detectable even though nothing appeared damaged. Crowley was making distressed noises, and Kalido realized he was going about this all wrong. Crowley yelped as he scooped them up and carried them back to the Bentley, who popped open a door for him. He thanked her under the inarticulate stammering of the injured snake in his arms as he set the poor deer onto the bench seat. You really must get off your feet. Who knows what sacred ground will do to you? Crowley swallowed visibly. Perhaps they felt uncomfortable being so vulnerable in front of someone else. Kalido understood how that might be disconcerting. Kalido idly brushed his hands clean of dust and stood, looking back at the church. How could Crowley perform their temptation when even the ground would light them on fire? Oh, well... Conceivably, Kalido felt foolish. He personally was already on fire, so even though Crowley might burn, perhaps this might be perfectly simple. Heaven and Hell were meant to be antithetical, so surely his flames would be a match? Well, best to test and see, then explore other options if needed. Crowley had their leg bent to examine one of their bare soles, teeth clenched as they gingerly prodded at bright red birds. The snakeskin shoes were nowhere to be seen. Bare feet, pale and long and beautiful. Abruptly, Kalido turned and marched himself towards potential doom, lest he say something deeply unwise to the most alluring creature on earth. Kalido caught his flames, let their warmth embrace him, and walked up the steps and through the unlocked door of the church. Crowley kept his teeth clenched, assessing his blistered feet, a bit light-headed with the pain and the swooping sensation in his belly when he had been swept up like a rescued damsel in the strong arms of his companion. The bones would likely heal humans low, but they would heal, he reckoned. He looked up just in time to see that idiot flare up like a struck match and walk onto holy ground. Kalido, fuck, why? 
Crawley braced himself and waited poised for the screams. When they came, they were not in the voice he expected. The Reverend Monsignor Gabriel Harold was experiencing multiple tests of his patience today. He had been forced to answer not one, but two phone calls, both of which were inane and ought to have been answered by a staff member. He had also had to sign for a delivery, and when he had been forced to brew a cup of tea for himself, since everyone else was inefficient and apparently elsewhere, there had been only the kind he hated. He drank it anyway, pleased at his own ability to tolerate suffering and the mortification of the flesh. He washed down the taste with a glass of water and left it in the sink with a mental note to add a mention of the fasting of the sun in the wilderness to Sunday's sermon. Too many of the congregation indulged themselves, and it was his duty to guide them to a higher state of being. He did his best to lead by example, but sometimes it took a firm hand and word to make an impression on the weak world. It did work eventually. Before Monsignor Gabriel would eventually receive his next promotion and leave, he was certain that everyone from the janitor upwards would have learned humility from his righteous guidance. His main assistant had been a real chatterbox when he had first arrived, but after a few years of Monsignor Gabriel's instruction, he was correctly meek and silent. Monsignor Gabriel has had that effect on everyone, ever since he was first identified as a prodigy and catechism, all the way through seminary, and he had been honored appropriately throughout. He did his very best to share the benefit of his wisdom to the deserving and undeserving alike. In any case, it has been a trying day. There is an evening service in just over an hour, and his clothing has not been ironed, nor has the nave been swept clean. Nothing has been swept, and Monsignor Gabriel grits his teeth while he opens closets and cupboards, eventually finding where the broom is. His assistant is late and derelict in duty, and will absolutely be hearing about it when he finally returns, but in the meantime he will not be speaking in a dirty church. As he walks into the church proper to at least sweep the visible dirt out of sight, Monsignor Gabriel gives a deep internal groan when he sees a supplicant standing in front of the altar candles. The man has lit far too many and appears surrounded by their golden glow. Well, he will certainly be paying for all of them, and generously, if Monsignor Gabriel has anything to say about it. Welcome, he announces, and decides to hold the broom a little closer. It makes him look humble, he decides, 
and also that this is not a good time to be intruding, which might hurry things along. Sometimes, if supplicants feel uncomfortable, they are less likely to get weepy and will sniffle their way out of the church so that he can get back to other tasks. The man turns, and Monsignor Gabriel realizes after a moment that he is now clutching the broom handle white-knuckled like a cricket bat. The entity is not backlit by fire. It is lit from within. There are blackened footprints gently smoldering up to where it stands, and Monsignor Gabriel assumes they probably reach all the way to the door, if it bothered to come in through the door. His heart is pounding, and he is hyper-aware of himself, and how mortal he is, before Monsignor Gabriel remembers that he is a holy warrior defended by God. A moment later, and he realizes that this is actually a symbol of his holiness. A visitation. He is truly one of God's chosen. Art thou the Holy Spirit? Monsignor Gabriel asks in as ringing a tone as he can manage. This is going to be written down in the next gospel, surely, so he has to make sure that he is suitably quotable. The entity flares brighter and Monsignor Gabriel squints. The air is becoming uncomfortably warm. I was told yours was a holy soul. The entity eventually answers in a voice that crackles just as much as it flames. Monsignor Gabriel grins broadly. I am, he agrees. The entity is too bright for him to see clearly, but the outline of his head turns. I am looking at you. It drones. And all I see is a man. A holy man, yes. Monsignor Gabriel nods. This is really very uncomfortable, and he hopes that the being can hurry up and tell him he has passed his examination and is the highest of holies already. I had expected a saint, an enlightened one, a paragon. But all I see is a self-centered man who drapes himself in the glory of God and imagines that the borrowed feathers are his own. For a long, horrible moment, Monsignor Gabriel feels himself crumbling like an empty tower. Before he comes to his senses, the entity's flames have lowered to more of a hearth fire than a bonfire, and he recognizes the face it wears. Aziraphale? He says incredulously. It blinks, and the blue fires glowing where the eyes should be alert Monsignor Gabriel to the horror that stands before him. He casts the broom aside and throws out his arms in full glory. Demon, 
Be gone from this place and from the man you possess. The Latin of the formal exorcism is too far back for him to remember, but surely the Lord's Prayer will do the job well enough. He shouts each line, holding his crucifix in full sight of the wild thing. The demon waits politely for him to finish. There's a long moment in which the only sound is the crackling of flames, and then it takes a step towards him. Only a man, without enough faith to exorcise me, without the strength of character to defend his church, without a clue. I wonder if you'll pray or if you'll beg when I fry you. Monsignor Gabriel is already running. His mother had been right so many years ago in his youth. He should take over the family business. He will be great at that. He will run a successful company with Christian values, and God shall smile upon him and reward him. He leaps directly over the steps and sprints past a parked black car without stopping. He is never coming onto holy ground again. Crowley watched the priest sprint off down the road, howling as he went. He sounded like a deflating party balloon that had been blown up by an irritated banshee. The fading Doppler effect of demon, 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 was more than a bit over the top, in Crowley's opinion. The priest, or ex-priest, evidently, was professionally concerned with the metaphysical, so surely demons would be his bread and butter. Apparently not. Kalido was leaning out the door of the church, looking a bit bemused and a lot confused, also watching the ex-priest haul his no longer sanctified butt down the road. Crowley sighed, made the mild effort of will to shape his natural scales into what would at least appear to be snakeskin boots, and stood painfully. Kalido's attention switched to him, and they literally beamed before walking down the church steps to rejoin him at the Bentley. The car flashed her lights at them, and they gave a sweet little wave at her in response. Crawley viciously crushed an odd twinch at that. Kalido was allowed to look at things other than him. Probably. After a bit of teasing about Kalido's rough handling of the wannabe saint, even if Crowley can't argue with the effectiveness, they both settle into the Bentley's leather seats to chat. Police came around with the ex-priest. Already without his collar, Crowley is amused to notice... Wrapped in a shock blanket and gesticulating madly from a safe distance. The officers poke around a bit, mingling somewhat with the various congregants who begin to show up at what must be the usual time of mass, but now with no one to lead them. 
The Bentley sheds attention like ducks shed, whatever ducks shed, so they are left in peace, while Crowley tells a few stories about some of the priests he's known through the centuries. Kalido seems distracted for the first time, when before they had been hanging on Crowley's every word. They keep looking around, hands twisting together tightly as the church people mill in confusion. Crowley can already feel the sacred heat of the church before them dissipating. He is fairly sure that the job is done, but Kalido must be concerned. No other priest comes, and eventually one of the humans shuts the church door and the gravel parking lot empties. There's technically no reason to hang around, but Crowley has gotten into the habit of getting his head down at night, and he's really in no hurry to go back downstairs. Plus, Kalido is probably going to have the head cracked open and their memory stuffed back in with a chimney sweeps brush by one of the lower archi. Frankly, Crowley isn't thrilled about that inevitability, so procrastination it is. He makes up some schlock about confirming their success before reporting in, and Kalido buys it easily enough. There's a rather odd moment when they are checking in at a little bed and breakfast that is the closest thing this village has to a hotel, when the proprietor keeps staring at Kalido. Sure, the fire demon is hot like burning, in every possible sense of the word, but Crowley saw them first, so push off, Samantha. He snatches their room key and bustles Kalido off, leaving a small curse behind him that she will always forget her shopping list at home. Crowley snaps up a bottle of wine, and they have a pretty good time, actually, drinking and playing around. Kalido has no poker face, which is hilarious, but when they switch from cards to chess, they wipe the floor with Crowley. He does get patted sympathetically after his sixth loss, though, so it's worth it. Shit, Kalido is so pleasant to be near. Crowley would happily wrap himself around that toasty sweetness and just bask for the rest of eternity. In the morning, Crowley regretfully grumbles himself awake, sprawled haphazardly across the bed, where he must have passed out, and then just stares. Kalido is sitting by the window, quietly burning blue as they watch the sunrise in the east. The furniture and floor seem attacked, so apparently Kalido has been learning control all night instead of sleeping. You had said that I was likely sent up from hell to assist you. Kalido takes a deep breath before turning to him slowly, twice glancing back out at the dawn. Do you think I am permitted on earth often? I hope so. If not, I will treasure this memory of guarding your sleep 
and the birds singing and the colors of the eastern sky. Crowley has no idea what to say to that, so he just reaches out a hand. Kalido hesitates and then walks to him, and Crowley only then realizes how it must have seemed. A demon's hand reaching out from a dark bed, beckoning them away from the light. He shakes off that fraught mental image and pulls Kalido down with a surprised little noise into the blankets. Oh, it's too early, he rasps. Kalido is tense and awkward, but lays down willingly enough, straightening the duvet and offering the spare pillow to Crowley. Forget that noise, Crowley shifted into scans. He didn't like to revert to being a snake often, but this wasn't an opportunity to be missed, and he wasn't certain of his ability to keep his human facial expressions correct. Don't worry, he continues eventually, once he's looped comfortably all over his bedmate and his cutes are being to toast deliciously. Hell is hell, but just keep your head down, and I'll protect you. I'll tell them that you are useful, and that they should keep you on Earth. I'll make sure you can see the sun, Kaleido. Soft hands settle gently on his spine, and his head rises and falls as Kaleido takes a deep breath and releases it slowly. I'm glad I met you, Crowley, his companion whispers. I'll protect you, too. They do sleep a little, but the morning passes too soon. They are up and watching as the parishioners mill about helplessly at another missed mess, and once Crowley has run out of excuses, they descend into hell. Honestly, Kalido had expected a bit more in the way of flames and pitchforks. Perhaps some dramatically placed pits filled with condemned souls wailing about their damnation? Perhaps he had read a bit too much Dante. What was Dante? Who was Dante? Why couldn't he have remembered something more useful? Kalido follows Crowley as closely as possible, which is very close indeed, as the halls are dark and crowded and smell dreadful. Honestly, are the whiskers dripping and unsettling floor textures necessary? The inhabitants are all presumably powerful demonic forces, so why not make things pleasant for themselves? He ponders this until someone with compound eyes and a carapace shoves Crowley in what could not even transparently be called an accident. Crowley hisses back and drops the lower jaw to expose sharp fangs. <whistles> and Kaledo understands just a little bit about hell. 
Kalido assesses the deprived atmosphere, shearing faces and loud, ostentatious posturing, and settles into resigned familiarity. He did go to seminary school, after all. Wait, did he? Why would he have gone to seminary? Maybe it had been a previous demonic assignment, he guesses. Tempting aspiring church leaders, perhaps, although, frankly, someone like Crowley would likely have been more successful. Crowley could charm Vatican City out of their collective knickers. Well, if Crowley's boots didn't melt into soup first. A challenge, to be sure. In the present moment, the venom glistening on Crowley's long fangs seems to have been enough of a deterrent, and the beetle demon sneers but turns away. Crowley stalks forward, shoulders stiff, but they glance backwards at him to make sure he's still there, and Calido feels safe as houses. The hallway seems endless, and eventually he notices that some of the same faces are returning. Everything is becoming more crowded, and the doorway up ahead, their presumed goal, seems never to get any closer. Crowley's back is rigid, and their swaying walk is more of a stomp now, scales visible up above his collar. The doorway holds a silhouette, arms folded, and simply observing as the two of them struggle through the crowds, and Kalido understands even more about how things are done here. Kalido sees that Crowley is trying to hurry, although they are supposedly eternally damned, and theoretically time shouldn't matter. It would not surprise Kalido if tardiness was punished severely. Everything is a pointlessly painful test at the behest of those who have clawed their way to authority and all magnified and sustained by the mob. This, too, is familiar. Two hulking figures are ahead, coming slowly but directly towards them, unblinking eyes on Crowley. Someone who is endlessly oozing some kind of mucus elbows Calido, smearing the shirt that Crowley had so cautiously repaired for him, and he very abruptly can't stand it. He reaches out and grabs Crowley's hand so he doesn't lose track of them, smiles at their startled jump, and ignites. The hallway is very noisy for a time, although the roar of the flames covers most of the more distressing screams. He feels much better, lighter even. It feels correct to have done this. It was what he was made for, after all. What? Carlido shakes off the strange thought and, after a deep breath, pulls himself back inside his skin until he's glowing the controlled blue of a laboratory Bunsen burner. He's pleased to see that Crowley isn't cinched at all, 
He had certainly tried to make sure that would be the case, although their pretty hair was a bit mossed, as if they had been blow-dried at an exceedingly aggressive salon. He squeezes Crowley's hand before releasing it, and Crowley gives him a slow, sideways grin before turning to begin ambling down the empty hall. The burnt bones of every demon that had stood in their way crunch under their boots, and Crowley calls out ahead. Uh, we're not light, are we? As it turns out, they aren't. Crowley gives the verbal report about the mission, not bothering terribly much with exact details, because he is very aware that his supervisors are barely listening. Usually, even for a specific task like this, he would only be dropping a bit of paperwork off on Dagon's desk, or perhaps a summary to any of one of the other lower downs. However, there's a hallway that had been emulated by a white fire a few rooms away. Their location had been moved, possibly by hell itself, and now he was giving a stockbroker pattern to half a room of powerful Loaaki. Carlido is standing behind him, hands politely folded behind his back, occasionally glancing around curiously and squinting into the dimness. At least he's not on fire anymore. Crowley makes a joke that falls flat. Honestly, hell has no sense of humor. And hurries to finish up. Prince Beelzebub's flies are clustered on their corporation, barely buzzing at all, and Crowley has seen that often enough to know what it means. It wasn't necessary to have two of us up there, as I had it handled, but if you see fit to pair us up again, we certainly did a stellar job for hell. Overkill in the very worst way. There's a long, horrible pause. Hell is amazing at those. Some demons get a vocational certificate in excruciating silences and uncomfortable waiting, although Crowley's never bothered with most of Hell's career development training tracks. Since the first one is being tied to literal train tracks and being graded on how well you escape prior to your horrific demise, Crowley opted out. Dagon's scales gleamed under the flickering fluorescent lights as she tapped a talon on a stack of water-stained documents. There were no reinforcements sent to help you, Serpent. Dagon announced wetly. I know every single file that has been submitted for the past thousand years, and no one has paperwork filed for an Earth visit. She turned towards Kalido and spat something to the floor that triggered away on its remaining legs. Whoever you are, you were absent without leave. Trying to piggyback off of Crowley's assignment, I'll bet. State your name, 
We'll add that to the punishment for cremating the corporations of so many demons at once. The corporations department is absolutely swamped, and it's all your fault. We have Pondweed in all the lower file cabinets, and Duke Hasta keeps submerging himself and hunting my interns for sport. Crowley kept her smile on, but there was absolutely nothing behind it. Something was very wrong indeed. State your name. Prince Beelzebub rarely bothered to raise their voice and didn't need to for the command to resonate coldly through the chamber. Kalido gave a put-upon sigh. <sighs> I was very much hoping that one of you knew who I was. Crowley has been taking care of me since he found me with a cracked skull on the side of the road. Prince Beelzebub leaned forward very slightly. Explain. I'm afraid I don't know for sure what my name is. I don't remember much, and what I do is foggy. Kalido trailed off, but the prince made an impatient gesture, and they straightened. I remember that I had been behaving in ways that were not approved. They continued slowly. Their eyes were distant. I was performing my assigned tasks, but the father was disappointed in me. The entire chamber went silent. Kalido didn't seem to notice. I know I was not doing as well as I ought, but I tried. I tried so hard, but I kept failing and saying things I shouldn't. I, I was running out of time somehow, although I don't know why. I tried to go home, and then there was pain, and I felt like I was burning, and then nothing. Kalido swallowed once and seemed to physically shake the thoughts away. Then sent a heart-stoppingly sweet smile at Crowley. Then I woke up and Crowley had found me, healed my wounds and waited until I could get my flames under control. We finished the temptation together and then they brought me down. We theorized that I must have been sent up by someone to assist. They finished. Is that all you remember? The prince asked after a long moment. There was a tide of whispers steadily growing in volume around them. Kalido hesitated and seemed to shiver all over. A few sparks drifted up from their hair. The priest we were sent to tempt. He recognized me and he said a name. I think it used to be mine. Fire danced along their body, and tongues of flame curling harmlessly around their fingers. The floor beneath their feet was fracturing into charcoal. I think my name was Aziraphale. Sinister chuckling, then laughing, echoes from the shadows. Crowley's cold blood freezes over. Fuck no! The Dark Council, or at least one of them, had been watching.
Prince Beelzebub is actually smiling, and Dagon, Lord of the Files, seems excited for the first time since Crowley had known her. The laughter eventually fades into a funeral sigh of deep satisfaction. A voice Crowley has never heard before, and dearly hopes never to hear again, scrapes over them all like metal against a tooth. Finally, angels are falling again. To be concluded in Chapter 3.